Hello, my name is Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and this is Reenchantment, a podcast about finding wonder in a secular age. As a humanist, my faith lies in humanity, not in the supernatural. And if you believe that spirituality is fundamentally about cultivating the human spirit, then this podcast is for you. On today's episode, I'm bringing back Mike Myers. And no, this is not the Mike Myers who played in Austin Powers, for those of you who are wondering. Mike ran a YouTube channel during the heyday of New Atheism, a movement that spanned from roughly 2001 to 2013. It was characterized by an aggressive online debate style that often satirized religions, idolized science, and made many enemies along the way. Predominantly male, white, and anglophone, members of the movement were not representative of all atheists. However, being the loudest and most visible proponents of non-belief, new atheists became the stereotype of what it meant to be an atheist. Mike and I discuss the way the movement rose to prominence, why it fell apart, and what we can learn from new atheism moving forward. And now, my conversation with Mike Myers. Mike, welcome back to Reenchantment. Thank you very much. We talked last time about the occult aspect of your mind, and now we're going to talk about your time with YouTube, uh, you, being a YouTube atheist at the at the height of new atheism. Yeah, really more, I, I was more of a lurker during the sort of rise of it, and I was a little bit more active during the decline of it, but there are definitely people that I know who were more central to it, and there were people who... You know, there's like one degree of separation between me and some of the bigger people in, out there. And I still talk to some of those guys. So mm-hmm. Now, uh, before we really dive into this topic, I wanted to kind of set the scene for what is new atheism and, and, and how this all got started. And so new atheism, is, uh, as I understand it, it's something that specifically came about in the early 2000s. From 2006 to 2013 is when the majority of the movement kind of existed, and uh, it was started, you know, around the time that Richard Dawkins published The God Delusion. And so if I might, I, I look at it perhaps maybe a little bit differently. I look at 9-11 happening, mm-hmm. and then I look at the four books put out by the four big new atheists, The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, The End of Faith, Hitchens, God is Not Great, and Dennett, I think it's called the Unweaving the Spell, mm-hmm. is Dennett's book. And the four of them published books during that period from 9-11 to 2006. And then I think YouTube started to exist in 2006. I think okay. that's that's the historical marker that you're marking. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. The, the start point of this is really 2001 on September 11th. Yeah. When, with the terrorist attacks, there, you know, became all of this anger and all of this questioning in, in America and much of the Western world of mm-hmm. what is, who are these people, these, these radical, fanatical Islamists? Why did they do this? religion because yeah. of religion and so right you had the four horsemen as they're commonly known mm-hmm. richard dawkins sam harris daniel dennett christopher hitchens they became the kind of intellectual elite um the kind of uh, the the ones that are leading the charge and then 
with the advent of YouTube and Reddit and these online uh, spaces, you suddenly have all of these other other people um, kind of getting in on on the game. Mm-hmm. Say a little bit about about those early years you know, when YouTube first came about. So YouTube was fascinating when it first came about because it was really a lot more focused on on the social aspect and like the platform itself was very much designed for conversation and for discourse. Mm-hmm. A lot of those features have just disappeared and it's become a lot more of a one-way medium. It's become a lot more of a, a platform that's designed for someone to either create and upload or sit back and watch as opposed to like engaging in, in kind of a, a conversation or a dialectic between people. Mm-hmm. And so that process of YouTube changing itself I think shaped a lot of the rise and and fall of the new atheism. But in the early days, I mean, there was a lot of like realizing, a lot of people realizing that they weren't alone in feeling like the religious traditions didn't necessarily speak to them and with varying degrees of anger about that. And I think the rise was just people realizing that each other existed and this community coming together and then meanwhile on the other side of the fence there were apologists from more than one religion but primarily fundamentalist christian apologists coming together and the first sort of shots fired in this war between the new atheists and the fundamentalist christians were uh shots by people like Thunderfoot, who published the Why Do People Laugh at Creationists videos. The Amazing Atheist was making videos attacking fundamentalist Christians. Um, uh, There was also a movie that came out around that time called Jesus Camp, I remember. Mm -hmm. So there was this sense of, of... identification between religion and fundamentalism first of all there was a sense that that those two if you're religious you are <clears throat> a fundamentalist most likely yeah and and if you're not a fundamentalist you must be somehow bullshitting yourself like mm-hmm. you must be engaging in some kind of dishonest interpretation of the text right the mm-hmm. fundamentalists have the right interpretation of the text was the right. presupposition you know it's a- it's ensuring that you're only going to be arguing against straw men or i mean not necessarily straw men but you're only going to be arguing against fundamentalists yeah and and so you know before we go get into the nitty-gritty of of the kind of movement and the politics and how it developed new atheism hmm. is it new what was new about it i think it was new just in the sense that it was a combination of what could be called scientism which is which is what exactly an epistemological belief in the truth of science that maybe extends what science itself extends past what science itself says mm-hmm. furthermore they had a collection of maybe 30 arguments that were just being made over and over again in different contexts. Mm-hmm. And I think that those arguments are, I mean, they might be sound, they might not be, but I think that they're definitive of what the new atheism is. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, I think having the digital platform is mm-hmm. a really defining quality. So mm-hmm. you could not just read the books of the Four Horsemen, but you could watch you know, videos of them and then 
And then also there became figures that sort of started to come up through more digital mediums, people like Matt Dillahunty and the folks over at the Atheist Experience in Austin, Texas, and a number of other sort of heavy-hitting people who really came up through YouTube. Now, so, you know, New Atheism, in a way, it, it was something that, that, was, that existed on the internet primarily. It didn't really have uh, much of a physical presence. There were conferences that people appeared mm -hmm. at. But there, there, it was people that found themselves through the internet, through YouTube, mm -hmm. and that's where, at least in, in the early years, much of much of the community existed in virtual space. Uh, yeah. And would would you say where were most of these people from? Were they from America? From largely from the U.S. Thunderfoot is is English. He's from England. Um, Thunderfoot was one of the prominent YouTubers. Yeah, Andromeda's Wake was English as well. He was another YouTuber. So primarily America and England, and I think that they began to incorporate a lot of Anglo-American philosophy into their discussion of of atheism over time and I think the reason why is because they were Anglo-American and a lot mm. of them were like college age so taking philosophy courses and doing sure. stuff like that and a lot of them became kind of logic chopping analytic philosophers mm -hmm. I kind of went the other way and was more interested in continental philosophy myself but I was always kind of like like the odd one out in in certain in many respects it seems to me kind of looking back on it like military you know a militant militant atheism was a, a kind of defining factor of this movement there was definitely a predilection towards debate and there was definitely a predilection towards like owning people you mm -hmm. know what i mean there was definitely a an ownage culture that was associated with it and it, there's uh, so I mean I think that that's what you're identifying as as militant, but also like kind of going out and like picking fights with people. And I mean, I'm not really that person, just personally. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I never really did that. I always tried to talk to and sort of try to understand what a fundamentalist was saying, as opposed to, as opposed to just like dismissing them and trying to sort of shit on their beliefs, you mm -hmm. know. Sure. And so, yeah, talk a little bit about what your what your experience in this sphere was, both as a lurker and maybe as 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 time went on, being a participant in a YouTuber yourself. I towards the end of college, I think I read The God Delusion, and I became very interested in the question of God around that time, and sort of discovered that this YouTube world existed, and found the arguments that were presented by the New Atheist Persuasive. And it, as a lurker, I was more on their side. I was more likely to, I was more likely to agree with the arguments that they were making and how they were making them before I actually hopped on the platform itself. Because as a lurker, it's very easy to think of these as not real people, but once you're on the platform, you're like talking to these people, you know what I mean? And you begin to realize that they're other humans. In terms of these people, the... The fundamentalists, the fundamentalists. specifically, I mean. And you realize that like, they, these are three-dimensional humans. They're not, they're not reducible to a collection of claims that they affirm that you might object to. So 
very often I ended up having very good conversations with some people and becoming friends with some people as well. Mm-hmm. I think... Was, was that common in those, between new atheists and fundamentalists? Uh, were, were there some good conversations uh, happening? Yeah, I think there were... I think there were... There were some good conversations that were happening. I remember specifically between Scott Clifton, whose YouTube handle was Theoretical Bullshit, and Veritas48, whose name is Noah, there was an ongoing debate. Because at a certain point, we stopped picking off fundamentalists. How do I describe this? The, there, there were tears that emerged over time of, of atheists who... You could tell some people had a million subscribers. Then some people had like 20,000 subscribers. And then some people had like 50 subscribers. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I think at my peak, I had like 2,000 or something. I wasn't very big. but Mm -hmm. So there were these different tiers happening. And usually the people who were up on top were engaging most with fundamentalists. But they were engaging with like professional like apologists. They were engaging mm-hmm. with people like Ray Comfort and Ken Ham and people like that, like mm-hmm. fundamentalist apologists who like professionally do that work. Interesting. Um, and, and, and were they successful? Or, I mean, how did those conversations go? Depending on the conversation, some of them, usually some of them are interesting. If you watch Thunderfoot talking to Ray Comfort, it's an interesting conversation because Ray Comfort is, it, I mean, he's a fundamentalist Christian. He's from New Zealand. There's just something inherently, like, comically endearing about him. And Thunderfoot is very cordial in that conversation. I think they had two conversations, and I think in both of them, Thunderfoot's very cordial to him. So those conversations generally, I mean, again, when you're face-to-face with somebody, it's a very different situation than, like, writing a script about somebody. So you tend to find that that when those those exchanges happened and they were actually conversations, they tend to be pretty cordial, but, but, but the videos could be pretty savage, mm-hmm. the video essays themselves. Interesting. Uh, you know, you have in these early years, these people finding one another, the, the kind of atheist argument is seemingly strong. You have these figures that are uh, kind of writing books, selling books, and, and are very prominent voices uh, on the internet. Let's talk about where things start to turn and, and how things started to, uh, to change over the years. I mean, the rot started to settle in pretty quickly because you had a whole bunch of people who were, who had sharpened their knives, their debating knives, really to really sharp edges and, and were taking a lot of pleasure in debate and taking a lot of pleasure in, again, owning their opponents and stuff like that. And it's just a matter of time, I think, under those conditions before the, the movement, people start just because people don't always get along, people start turning on each other within that movement and start pointing their knives inwards as opposed to outwards. One of the big reasons, um, you know, that, you know, the knives started to get pointed inwards, as in many groups, you know, you have the realization that the thing that, that unites you is not the only thing that... that about only, you. Uh, yeah. About you. Mm-hmm. And with atheism in particular, it is essentially, 
you know, you, uniting people around a negative, yeah. around uh, something that you don't believe in. And when, when you know, people start to look at one another, who is, who is sitting next to you, so to speak, in the, in the room of, of new atheism, you start to realize that there are libertarians and communists and feminists and, you know, uh, right-wingers. right-wingers. You, yeah. you, have, you have all of these different ideologies, and suddenly there was this eye-opening, and then the knives started to come out. So, yes, that's a great... Uh, characterization of basically what happened, but the moment the dam broke was definitely atheism. Atheism plus. Mm-hmm. Atheism plus. In your words, what what was it? It was, I think, under any light, a bad idea. So atheism plus was an attempt to use, like there was a mass of people who were involved in the atheist movement and on many different fronts doing many different things and so atheism plus was an attempt to take that sort of infrastructure and to mobilize it towards social justice causes why was it a bad idea because of the fact that it was distinctly and clearly leftist and even though i'm myself am a leftist and I'm sympathetic to their goals. It was very clear that not everybody in that movement was a leftist. And so Mm -hmm. it was clear that the whole, the entirety of the movement wasn't going to, wasn't going to swing that way. It, and all it did was break everything. Mm -hmm. So just objectively in terms of as a question of movement building and what do you do with a movement and a, and how do you direct a movement and organize a movement and stuff like that i think from that perspective especially it was it was just a bad idea it was misreading of the room and sure. and, and essentially it split the atheist online world in two started a essentially a civil war what always struck me as interesting was the way these kind of like personal spats between people ended up reverberating through the movement and ended up like like it it was shocking to me how fragile the movement was yeah the personal thing egos getting bruised or hurt turning into very large events in the movement one such event uh, that really kind of was was in huge was elevator gate yes uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about what that was and what happened it was at a, uh, I believe, an atheist conference. Yes. With Rebecca Watson, who was a feminist, atheist blogger and YouTube personality, and I believe it was around you know, sometime in the early morning, 4 a.m. or something. She got in an elevator and was propositioned by some somebody at the conference for to go back to his room for coffee. Yeah essentially propositioning her for sex. She basically told this story on in a YouTube video, and she uh, said... No, uh, she told it at the conference. She told it at the conference. I believe. She was on stage in front of people, and yeah. some people under those conditions. She basically said, guys, you know, don't do that. Yeah. And what was the reaction? So she wanted to raise the issue of sexism within the New Atheist movement. It wasn't quite as benign... And when I say benign, I don't mean it to tack a value judgment on it, but she did have the agenda of raising the issue of sexism 
in the New Atheist movement in mind when she told that story. So it, it was part of a critique and it was part of it was a part of a broader like work that she was that she was do, trying to do was that a valid critique though i think that there was a lot of misogyny in the in the new atheist movement but i think there was a lot of misogyny on the internet in general at that time mm-hmm. and still is frankly so it seems i think it was more a function of that than it was anything about um it's not like any group of atheists you get together are going to be a bunch of misogynists. You know sure. what I mean? It, it was so. So you chalk it up to the fact that it was the culture, the the medium itself, having this movement exist primarily online, allowed for this misogyny to thrive in a way that it wouldn't in a real world context. I think that's right, and. I don't want to stray too far away from Elevator Gate to my own opinions on the matter, but the gentleman in question there was there was rumors for years that it was dpr jones who was one of the big youtube atheists and apparently it the story isn't just that he got in the elevator with her it's that he was kind of hovering around her the whole night Mm. um they were like out at the hotel bar drinking after these conferences and like having Mm. a good time and he was kind of like like awkwardly hovering around her now okay yeah there's a question about there is a legitimate question about I doubt that there was any nefarious intent on his part he was probably just kind of socially awkward and making her uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, if it certainly if it was DPR Jones it would be very difficult for me to imagine it as nefarious intent but Rebecca wanted to make the broader YouTube community and the broader atheist community aware of things that can make women uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Now, they, the split happened because about, well, not even, it wasn't 50-50. It was like, like 80% of the people who were, who were involved in the sort of new atheist world ended up siding with the guy in the situation and saying it was just asking for a cup of coffee like this was not a big deal like Mm -hmm. why are you bringing why are you bringing this up this clearly isn't an example of of misogyny and clearly there was not nefarious intent here yet under Mm -hmm. these conditions and whatever and so they were mad because of a number of instances of they were mad of what a number of instances of what they thought of as sort of humorless lefty girls trying to boss people around and this split in the movement was all these all their fault and da 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 and I guess what, what do you think? I think that Rebecca Watson so there were a few feminists who sort of appeared and ended up being really big and well known at the same time one of whom was Rebecca Watson one of whom was Anita Sarkeesian Anita Sarkeesian was not really involved in the atheist movement. She was just a grad student, like a feminist grad student who was making videos about sexism in video games. And I think in both of their cases, they were making feminist critiques that are pretty feminist 101 and like kind of hard to dispute you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. and in terms of just like 
in terms of just like this is ob- this is obviously true right. and w- women, women should have you know equal opportunity stuff that uh, most people would would agree with today yeah i think so yeah. and but i think that there are definitely things that rebecca said and certainly anita said and did that i would quibble with and there were certainly like positions they staked out that I didn't agree with and and stuff like that but I think on the whole like they were treated with a, with a level of viciousness mm-hmm. that was completely unwarranted and completely not just unwarranted but but almost proving their point mm-hmm. you know what I mean I think Rebecca was Rebecca was um, primarily a science blogger who got involved in the new atheist movement and everybody everybody was friendly for a while. And then this happened with Rebecca and she was also involved with the conferences thing. She was also, I believe she was involved with Atheism Plus as well. And so she kind of ended up becoming the face of evil for a lot of people or mm-hmm. somebody who came in and like ruined a movement. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, she, I just don't believe that she is a, either a bad person or a stupid person, mm-hmm. though I disagree with her on plenty of things. And I honestly, it's been so long that I probably couldn't even pinpoint a single area of disagreement that I have with her. But she, I don't think she's dumb and I don't think that she's evil. And I think that the way she was treated by the internet was kind of inexcusable. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the movement itself, it seemed like the the movement had so many contradictions within it. It was bound to happen eventually. Yeah, I think that there were a lot of contradictions within the movement itself. I think that the movement got too big too quick. Mm-hmm. I think that there were there are real political goals that I would tie to the critique of religion. Things like not or things like taxing churches is a political goal. Making sure the uh, separation of church and state is kept in place. Absolutely. Um, you know. and, and these political goals are, they're being worked on today. Um, you know, a temple, um, a satanic temple um, yeah. is, doing, is very, very politically involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, also American atheists and other organizations are working on these things. Sure. I, I guess in the new atheist movement as it existed online it was primarily that it was an online world that it didn't seem to really extend too much into the political activist realm it did in so far as american atheists at the time was very involved in like there was an interface between american atheists and the the sort of youtube atheism mm-hmm. there were there were channels for activism that you could go into if you wanted to Mm -hmm. but i think that it was just more of a debate society than anything else i think it was people who were interested in educating themselves in philosophy and debate and and history and science and and ways of thinking and stuff like that and who had a commitment to the idea of debate and i think that that's a that's the positive sort of side of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That, that, was, um, that was new atheism at its best. At its best, yeah. Which I think is very different than a movement where at its best it is politically engaged 
and changing laws and stuff like that. It's ju it just wasn't the same kind of movement. There might have, I'm sure there were people who labored under the delusion that it was that kind of movement that would be changing laws and would be, and stuff like that. A movement like feminism, ironically enough. But I think at its at its best, at its highest aspiration, it was a wonderful debate society where you could get really good information about science and you could get really good information about philosophy from like peer-based peer activity and there was an educational quality to the whole thing mm -hmm. that, that was really quite, quite beautiful. This is the part of the show where most podcasters talk to you about the great mattress brand that they just got to try or this pre-made meal plan that someone wants you to buy. Instead, I want to dedicate this time to advertise things that I actually do care about. So today's somewhat fake ad is brought to you by oat milk. I put oat milk in my coffee every morning. I put it in my cereal, I put it in my mashed potatoes. It's a creamy and delicious alternative to milk and I think that everybody should try it. But Daniel, you might be asking, why would I want to give up milk? Well, there are several reasons. One, there are a lot of thorny ethical questions related to suffering in the dairy industry. Uh, most people don't know this, but to make milk, uh, we have to take the calf, the baby cow, away from their mother within a few hours of the calf being born. This causes a lot of psychological pain uh, for both the baby calf and for the mother. There's also the question of the environmental impact. It takes about 80% less land to produce a gallon of oat milk as compared to a gallon of dairy milk. And it requires significantly lower greenhouse gas emissions. Even when compared with other plant-based milks like soy and almond, oat milk also wins out. To produce one pound of oats, it takes one-sixth the amount of water and resources needed to produce one pound of almonds. And if you're worried about losing out on taste, don't be. Advanced oat milk technology has allowed us to milk oats in such a way as to produce a creamy and rich milk that is also ethically sound. If you're wondering how they milk oat udders, so am I. But unlike regular milk, I've been told that it doesn't hurt the oat or its babies. So, next time you're at the store, consider trying a carton of oat milk and see how you like it. My favorite brand is Planet Oat, with their extra creamy flavor. They are not paying me anything to say this. I simply know, in my heart of hearts, that theirs is the best on the market. And now, back to my conversation with Mike Myers. New Atheism, it seemed to, you know, have kind of faded away after 2013 a lot of a lot of the uh, youtubers are no longer active a lot of the uh, the major names are less popular than than they were Dawkins uh, you know among them what has been going on for the last you know for the since 2013 till till today the biggest figure who's probably active today is contrapoints and it had and contrapoints is totally overhauled her channel to be about something very different than it was back in the day. Mm -hmm. So at the time of the new atheism, there was a young man named Nick uh, who ran a channel called ContraPoints. Mm -hmm. ContraPoints 
eventually deleted all of, uh, at, well, at the time it was, he deleted all of his old videos, and then uh, he started up a new series of videos and went th and revealed that she was trans um, and her name would be Natalie going forward. Um, and, it, and you could see the transition in, through the videos from from uh, you know he to her. Yeah, and it's a, it's a fascinating series of videos that mm -hmm. Contrapoints has made uh, from that perspective. And she does a lot of uh, cultural critique analysis. Um, mm -hmm. She's she's very very much uh, you know on the left. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've, I've watched many many of her videos, and they're very astute and very well well mm -hmm. done and well thought out. And her videos are, they don't carry any of the kind of vitriol and, and, and anger, it seems like, that some of the early atheist videos did. That's absolutely true. I, I think that ContraPoints is a very different kind of... I don't think ContraPoints is interested in owning people, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. ContraPoints will satirize people, but I don't think that she's interested in... She's just not aggressive in that way and kind of never has been. I think that there are there are people who are still who still keep in touch because a lot of us made friends. I'm in a group on Facebook where a lot of the old sort of mid-tier people are. Mm -hmm. You know, Noah, who used to be Veritas 48, I think was the number at the end. He was a guy who ended up going through a deconversion, which was kind of a dramatic thing to happen in the mm. world of of YouTube atheism. And it was rare to see somebody who the atheist I mean because because Veritas 48 read Nietzsche and like mm. really like really engaged with it in a in a robust and interesting way ended up going through something like a deconversion. I don't want to necessarily say that Veritas or Noah is is an atheist. I think he's started to view his own beliefs as more private, so I'm not even quite sure. But he certainly is not a William Lane Craig Christian mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, Scott Clifton, theoretical bullshit, is now an actor on The Bold and the Beautiful, I think. He, he, he acts on a soap opera, and he won a few daytime Emmys and stuff. He's, wow. he's, he's doing really well for himself. So it seems like Online atheism, you know, uh, in this incarnation has kind of fell apart. And there, there are voices out there still. Is there, looking to the future, I mean, what are ways in which non-belief can be talked about, represented? How can these discussions and, and these ideas spread in a way that isn't about just destroying your opposition and denigrating uh, religion and essentially making a bunch of enemies that isn't going to build any kind of movement. So I have two answers to that. First of all, I think that it has to be more focused on the real world and less focused on the internet. Just because of the culture of the internet and the culture of debate on the internet has gotten nothing but more toxic as, as I've gotten older and as it's mm -hmm. gone on. The internet is a cesspool of when it comes to debate. Um, you know, it used to be back in my day. <laughs> it used to be that you would, you would, if you made a video response to somebody, you would read them charitably. You would do relevant research. You would talk about 
you would really try and engage their points as much as possible. Yeah. And also, there was a time as well where you were basically expected to have watched everything else that the person had put out so far. So you wanted to get as well-rounded of a picture of the person as possible. Like what it meant to be a good debater was to have a well as well-rounded of an image of the person as possible and then to critique the strongest version of their argument that you could make of them. Are you sure you're not just not talking about what you would do? <laughs> <laughs> I am quite sure, actually. I mean, it's uh, there were a lot of really intelligent people back in the day. Um, his videos might still be up, but Das American Atheist, even Theoretical Bullshit, who's someone that I've come to blows with before, but I've also had very pleasant conversations with before. I don't believe that I always believe that he went out of his way to be extremely charitable. Mm -hmm. and, it, and yet the nature of online discourse, it's so new in the human species. You know, yeah. in many ways we, we don't really know how to, what to do with this kind of thing. Like, you know, it seems like the architecture of the internet is, is being built in such a way that it's about kind of fast response, the thing that will turn heads, the thing that will uh, burn brightest. Yeah. And, and as a result, it, it kind of disincentivizes slow thinking. Yeah, and I think also there's been a shift away from debate and a shift towards building a brand where you're a social media influencer and mm -hmm. monetizing that and basically becoming your own little like TV host and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so you don't necessarily want to do things that are going to be alienating to a large portion of your art, your audience. But where I'm talking about the toxicity, I'm talking about like within Facebook groups, within Reddit groups, within, you know, on 4chan and, and places like that, like those, those places where debate still takes place and those mm -hmm. forums that still lend themselves to that form of conversation which i don't think youtube does anymore mm -hmm. those forums have all become like poisoned mm -hmm. and i think there needs to be some kind of there needs to be some kind of community of like not necessarily academic debate people and not like complete human trash. There needs to be some kind of third community that appears. Um, Maybe that that is best not done online. Yeah, so that's it's maybe not best done online. When you're talking about that was in reference to a new new atheism. It it should have more of a foot in the real world than a toe in the internet. And then also the other thing too is that I think that the best way to probably organize an atheist movement would be as kind of a modular thing with like, you could almost imagine like, like cells of like, of small functioning sort of in quasi independent groups working like, in their communities at the like, municipal level. Like I mean. churches? Yeah, like <laughs> churches, sure. Uh, but yeah, uh, gr groups, independent groups that are yeah. under, under a, a single, single umbrella. Because it's going to be really difficult for me to sit in the same room and talk about how we should tax churches with a Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. It's going to be difficult. But it might be easy for 50 Trump supporters to get together and to, and to be able to pressure, to put pressure on the system in, in ways that can get things done. Mm -hmm. And they might be able to do that, and then a group of leftists might be able to do that, and they might be able to support each other without necessarily getting into a situation where they have to be 
like at each other's throats at all times, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that like the two pieces of advice that I would give would be one to keep it focused on the real world and two to not be afraid of sort of modularity or, and thinking in terms of networks instead of like one homogenous movement, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Religions themselves are not homogenous. You no. have, you have in, in the Christian church, you have your liberal and progressive Christians, mm -hmm. which most people have forgotten about, but they exist and yes. they're very much there. So there's, there are ranges, there's a whole spectrums of, of opinions within a single religious house. And non-belief in, in deities and super, supernatural entities, that is, that is a, a, a metaphysical claim and, and, and that has nothing to do with how you're going to live your life politically or socially. Yeah, yeah no, that's true. And I think, but I think if you were to organize an atheist reading group, I think someone like Marx would have a very important place in that reading group. I think that he has a very important place in the history of the critique of religion, but at the same time, he would be very difficult to introduce as an atheist thinker into certain rooms. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's issues like that where it's just, I think people should be able to recognize when cohabitation in any kind of intimate way is effectively impossible and should be able to construct like forms of communication that can bridge those gaps at the same time. So mm -hmm. you can have a march where everybody shows up, but you're not necessarily in the same like, like meetings every week or something like that. Sure. So, and I think that one of I think that the diversity of atheism for the new atheism was more or less its biggest weakness, but I think that there's a version of the movement that is conceptually possible in which its diversity is its greatest strength. Mm. And, and that being this kind of modular system of people of all different stripes and, and, and ideologies coming together and saying this is something we do agree on, mm -hmm. secularism division of church and state, uh, and this kind of, um, yeah, a, a belief that it is possible to be a human being and have a fulfilling and, and deep and rich you know, existence without the supernatural. Sure. And I mean, you're somebody who's very much doing that work, you know what I mean? I, I admire you for it. Um, uh, I, I think that online atheism was doomed to fail almost for the same reason that the catholic church was doomed to schism twice if you get if you get a structure that's big enough you're just going to have too many too many voices to the point where to the point Something, where something's it's gonna something's got to give and it it starts to be, I don't know, it starts to lose its structure and it starts to, and people start to, to just get at each other's throats. So that's why I, I really do believe in more modular political movements. I think, oh, you can almost model it on the Viet Cong, right? A guerrilla insurgency, is that, is that what yeah, you're proposing here? Something <laughs> like that. Um, but of ideas, of science. Well, 
whatever the future will bring, there are people out there who continue to to not believe. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it's always the shadow of religion. Um, you know, my views on religion have changed a lot, and I still believe in certain political causes that are tied to atheism, like we probably should tax churches, stuff like that. I'm certainly less inclined to aggressively debate somebody. I think I can see the the value of religion now more than I could then. And that's part of what I admire about your work as well, is, mm -hmm. is trying to retain that, that value. It's, yeah. the, it's the main reason why I'm willing to do this podcast with you, actually. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being on the show again, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Reenchantment. I want to give a big shout out and thank you to the newest Patreon subscribers to the show, Catherine from New Orleans, a dear friend of mine who I met swing dancing, Zhao Zhao, also from New Orleans, but who I met years ago while interning at the MIT Media Lab, Rita and Zhenya, two long-standing family friends whom my mother met while immigrating from the Soviet Union, and my dear, dear sister, Nika with whom I crossed paths 24 years ago and have stayed close with ever since. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you want to help support the show and are not already, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash reenchantment. By becoming a patron, you'll get your own personal shout-out on the show, as well as patron-only content like special videos, posts, and even whole bonus episodes like my follow-up conversation with Anton Feinberg, which will only be available to patrons. Once again, thank you for listening. I'll see you next time on Reenchantment. enchantment